Transformation. It's something that, uh, something we have to realize there is no life without transformation. And that is true whether you are a, a caterpillar who needs to become a butterfly or whether you are an awkward teenager who uh, needs to become an adult or whether you are a giant robot that needs to become whatever a giant robot becomes. Transform or die. We, we're obsessed with transformation at times, especially with ourselves. It seems like we're never satisfied with, with who we are and, and what we are. We, we try to transform our look. We try to transform our weight. We try to transform our behavior, or at least we try to transform our kids' behavior. But what we know deep down to be true is that if we stay the same, we stagnate. And so we must transform to stay alive. Now, the same is true of churches. Churches have to transform because the same is true of us. The same is true of our beliefs. If our beliefs don't transform us, if they don't change us, if we don't see ourselves becoming more and more like Christ, uh, then, then our beliefs don't have an effect in our lives. And if our faith, if the things that we believe on, about who Jesus is, about what salvation is, about other people in our lives, and about ourselves, if those don't transform us, then what good are they? If it doesn't make us better people, or treat other people better, then what good are they? And so we come to a point in Paul's letter to the Romans where he calls for a change in us. He calls for transformation. You've got your Bibles. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Just the first two verses. Romans chapter 12. Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul makes a right turn in chapter 12 of Romans. Up until now, Romans has all been about belief. Romans has all been about theology. You know, all the things that we believe and the things that we hold to be true and the things that we hold dear. Why things are the way they are. Why sin has ruined our relationship with God. Why Jesus had to come to earth to die to sacrifice His life for us. Why grace saves you. You can't earn salvation. So he's given us 11 chapters worth of that kind of information. And now he makes this turn. And his, what he's focusing on is, what are you going to do with that information now? How is that information going to change you? Are you just going to go home? Are you going to sit there and ponder all this stuff? Or is it going to make a change in your life? Are you going to get busy doing something? So how does God transform us. What do we do? We sit down and, and pray and wait and say, okay, God, here I am. Transform me. Probably not. Probably something more involved than that. Does it seem likely that for God to transform you, you have to do something? You see, here's the problem. The last 11 chapters have had a lot of information about God 
a lot of information about who God is, about what God does. But information about God is not the same as knowing God, right? You get that? Knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. It means that you, you know about Him, you know, and that's a great thing. But the, for that knowledge to take life, you have to do something with it. Transformation is active. It requires us to do something, whether that's a, a caterpillar building a cocoon so that it can transform into a butterfly, or whether it's you and me giving ourselves to things that will cause us to know God's presence in new ways and new, His purpose in new ways and transform us. It comes down to this. We talk a lot about worship. But what Paul is showing us here in, in chapter 12 is if you really want to know the presence of God in worship, then get busy serving. Verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And when we hear the word worship, certain ideas immediately come to mind. And and there are several different terms for worship in the Bible. There are two of them that you really need to know and two of them that you need to understand. Both of them are interpreted as worship, but they're two very different ideas. One word is all about intimacy. And it's, it's a word that reflects those who would come to God on bended knee with their heads down in submission and humility and try to get close, try to come close to God by, by laying everything else down. Now, the beautiful thing about this phrase is it, it actually can be interpreted to come towards to kiss. It's that kind of intimacy where you're coming in submission. You want to get close to God. You want to have that relationship with Him. And yet you know you're not worthy. And so you come towards to kiss. The other word is all about service. About half the time in the New Testament, this other word for worship is translated as service. Sometimes it, it carries with it the idea of, of, of things that we do to serve. It, it actually carries with it the idea of sweeping out the temple. You know, you, you think about the priests in the Old Testament and all the things that, that the priests had to do, all the duties that the priests had to do. I mean, they had to make the sacrifices and they had to lead the people in worship. They would sing the psalms together and they would do all of these things to draw the people closer to God. But one of the things that they had to do was keep the temple clean. They had to sweep out the temple. And, and this word has to do with, with service, with sweeping out the temple, with the things that we do to serve. And what it shows us is for those priests, when they were busy sweeping out the temple, that was just as much a role, a priestly responsibility, as when they were leading people in worship to draw them close to God. The problem that we get into is that sometimes we think of worship as just intimacy, and we forget that worship is also service. And you can't have one or the other. You can't just decide, well, I'm going to be an intimacy worshiper. I'm not going to be a service worshiper. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be all about intimacy, and that's, that's going to be my thing. And you can't do that. If you want intimacy, if you want that, you also need service. I mean, we talk about the intimacy stuff. We can talk about how great it is to have nice songs and beautiful singing. But if that's all that there is and we never pick up a broom, we never do something, then we've missed the point. 
Remember a couple of weeks ago I told you something that I had been told. I hate to bring up anything negative, but, but I was once told that this church would never grow because this church does not have a band. I was told we will never grow because we do not have a band here. That's where, this, that's where that attitude comes from. That desire for intimacy, that desire for the worship, that desire for the singing, that desire for the music that draws you into the presence of God. But when that's all that you've got, it doesn't lead to deeper worship. You know what it leads to? It leads to frustration. Because you end up going after another experience and another experience and you keep searching for something that's going to trip your trigger and maybe that means you go searching for another church because well they do it better they've got a better band they've got better worship but you never give yourself to god you never give yourself away and so you end up chasing experience after experience this this church doesn't do it for me anymore so i've got to go on to another church Does that sound familiar if you nod with me i quit quicker does that sound familiar yeah yeah People do that in churches. People do that in marriages too, don't they? People do that in marriages. I I can't claim any great wisdom on marriage. I've been working at it for about a quarter of a century now. It'll be 25 years this summer, right? Somewhere around June something, I think. Um, It's been a learning experience for 25 years of of learning experience. I, I can't claim any great insight into marriage, but here's one thing I finally figured out. If I want intimacy from my wife, it doesn't hurt for me to run the vacuum once in a while. You know? Yeah, Steve, figure it out. If I want intimacy from my wife, it it doesn't hurt for me to do something around the house to to show my appreciation and to be appreciated, you know? And and I can't tell you how many times I'll be standing there doing the dishes and and, uh, standing there at the kitchen sink doing the dishes, and all of a sudden I feel these arms around me. You're doing the dishes again, and I get a little hug and a little kiss on the back of the neck or something. You know, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. You know, I've, I've figured that part out. And it's the same thing with God. We want that intimacy. We want the, to come towards to kiss. But we don't always realize that you've got to sweep out the temple every now and then. You've got to do something. You have to give yourself to him. God wants you to connect with him in, in that way also. Service is worship. You know, transformation isn't just about worship. It's about transforming who we are and what we are about. And so Paul takes us there also. And he says, if you want to know the will of God for, for your life, then get busy serving. If you want to know the will of God for your life, get busy serving. So he starts off with us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him. This is our spiritual worship. And yes, some of your Bibles say this is your spiritual service. Now, when you do that, when you're doing that kind of service, obviously you're not going to look like the average guy on the street. Your attitude's not going to be that of the average non-Christian. Your, average, your attitude is not going to be like that of someone who has not got that connection to God. You're going to look differently. You're going to act differently. You're going to have a different focus. You're going to have different things that drive you. You're going to have a different direction in your life than someone who has not given themselves to God. And so Paul goes on in verse 2, and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. There are a lot of people 
who are concerned about what God's will is for their life, what the direction is for their lives. Trust me, they talk to me. (laughs) They ask me, uh, what is God's will for my life? What should I do? And they ask me if I have any big insight into God's will for them. Should I marry this person or that person? Should I take this job or that job? Should I do this or that? And they're big questions. And a lot of times we treat the will of God as though it's a roadblock. That until I figure out the will of God, I am not going to do anything. (laughs) I'm just going to sit here and wait until God tells me what to do. And God will eventually reveal himself. I think that's another problem that we get into when worship is simply viewed as intimacy with God and not service to God as well. Remember the Old Testament? There's a story of this little boy named Samuel. Remember Samuel in the Old Testament? Samuel, this little boy, his mother dedicated him to God. Samuel, who grew up to be a prophet and a priest and a judge, the last judge in Israel. But before little Samuel was called to be a prophet, priest, and judge, what was he doing? He was serving. This little boy, dressed in a linen ephod, dressed just like a little miniature priest, this little boy would sleep in the temple, in the tabernacle. He would sleep right next to the ark. And his job was to not only sweep out the the temple, his job was to make sure that the lamps didn't go out. They had to have the lamp burning all the time. And so little Samuel would lay there and he would wake up. If the lamp started going out, he would would put more oil in the lamp. That was his job. That's what he did. So before he was called to be prophet, priest, and judge, Samuel was serving. David, King David. Samuel anointed David to be king. But before David was anointed, David was chosen. And what did David do? Well, he took care of his father's sheep. He was serving. And while he was taking care of his father's sheep, some days he had to take his, his, his little sling and he would take care of a bear that was coming through. He'd take care of a lion that was coming to try to get a sheep. And so eventually when he grew up a little bit bigger and he had to take on a, a, a giant, he's already had that kind of experience. So before David became king, David was serving. You look in, you look in the Old Testament at the story of Isaiah. You look at the book of Isaiah and And in Isaiah chapter 6, we have this incredible picture of worship. And it is the intimacy. It is approaching God. It is that come towards to kiss. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, I was in the temple and I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, you know, we read that today and we sing songs that are based on that. And it is some of the most beautiful and worshipful songs. And and that image just brings you into the presence of God. That happened in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah has this encounter with God and God calls him to be a prophet. What was Isaiah doing in Isaiah's chapter, Isaiah chapters 1 through 5? He was serving. He was already busy serving. So, if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, if you're wondering what is it God wants me to do, maybe you should get busy serving now. Find something to do now. But we've always said, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about how we love God. It's about how we love other people. 
And that's where Paul takes this transformation here. He takes it out of us simply worshiping and growing closer to God ourselves. He takes it out of us knowing the will of God for our own lives, and he puts it squarely in the realm of how we love other people. And do you know what we see? If you want to know how to love other people, then get busy serving. As I said, chapter 12 takes all these facts that we've learned about God and about ourselves over the last 11 chapters, and it suddenly just turns and applies those to how we're going to live. How do we practically put all of these things into our lives? What does it look like when we are practicing this faith, when it's lived out? It's a life of service as worship. It's a life of doing the will of God. And then in verse 3, he picks up the idea of spiritual gifts and the different ways that we serve and the ways that we are empowered to serve. And that's a wonderful thing. But again, it's not an inward focus where we're saying, look at the gifts that I've got. Look what God gave me. No, it's about how you're going to give yourself back to God, how you're going to serve others in the church and in the community. Our transformation is seen in the way that we love other people. And then down in verse 9, he says in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul uses two different words here for love, and you may have heard that there are two or three different words in the Bible, three different words for love, and one of them we're not going to concern ourselves with right now, but we translate them all as love, but they are words that have very, very different meaning. And in verse 9, Paul says, let love be genuine, and that's what we call agape love. Some of you have heard of agape love. Agape love is that self-sacrificing love, that love that says, I'm going to lay my life down because I love you, and I'm going to give, give everything I have for you. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is considered to be the highest form of love when we sacrifice ourselves for other people. And then in verse 10, he says, love one another with a brotherly affection. And this is a different kind of love. Verse 9 is agape. Verse 10 is called phileo love. And that's where we can get the word for, uh, you know, the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Yeah, you've heard that. City of brotherly love. That's what phileo is. It is the brotherly love. Love one another with a brotherly affection he says. I think we make a big mistake when we think agape is the best. Agape is the best kind of love there is. It's the highest of all loves, and and it's the most perfect love. It's agape love, and brotherly love, it's okay, but it's, it's just not quite as great. I think we've sold brotherly love short. I think it's incredibly important. How many people have brothers? Anyone got a brother? A brother? Or sister, whatever. You know, I've got a sister too, I think. Um, you got a brother or a sister, you know. That person is always your brother. That person is always your sister. You may not always feel like they are, but trust me, that person is always your brother and your sister. And this is a very important point when it, what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. What he's saying is love one another with a brotherly affection. He is saying you belong to to me and I can't get rid of you (laughs) I can't hand you off you're not someone else's responsibility you belong to me and if I'm going to love you with brotherly affection I have to take care 
of you. I have to take care of your needs. You are my responsibility. So I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to run off because I'm looking for something else that's going to trip my trigger a little bit better. I am going to stay with you. You're stuck with me. I am stuck with you. And I'm going to make sure that you know that you are loved. And then he goes into these details about what that love looks like. And I'll tell you what, if I hadn't made this commitment to preach one chapter a week every week, you would get a sermon over this next week. But I'm not going to do that. What what does this kind of love look like? He says, again, going back to verse 10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show responsibility. I read that this week. And I want to be very honest with you guys. I read that last week, and I realized there is a lot of stuff in those verses that you are already doing for each other. There is a lot of stuff in there that you are already doing for each other. And and I am very proud of the way that you love each other. If I'm allowed to be proud, I'm going to say I'm very proud of the way you guys love each other and the way you love your community Verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, be, uh, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Jesus wants our best, doesn't he? Jesus expects our best. He expects us to give him our best. How do we give him our best? We give our best to others. We are fervent in the things that we do. We are not slothful in our zeal, but we are fervent in those things. We want the best for each other, so we give that. Verse 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I love this because because we realize it's not just what we can do for each other. It's not just about the way that we take care of each other. It's about the way God cares for us. And you guys are so faithful to pray whenever we present a need before you. You are faithful to pray for each other. You are eager to praise God. You are eager to to share the good news. You you are eager to hope that, that and to to help others who are hurting. Verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. That is the hallmark of brotherly love. That is welcoming others in. And it's not just about welcoming others in. Sometimes we're really good about welcoming others. Sometimes we're not as good at letting others welcome us and care for us, we have to be willing to give hospitality, and we have to be willing to receive hospitality. We have to be willing to be on both sides of that kind of love. So you're probably wondering why there's a chainsaw here. Anyone, anyone wondered why there's a chainsaw here? Anyone curious at all about the chainsaw? I'm going to start this thing up. And <laughs> not really going to start it up. I wouldn't know where to begin with starting up a chainsaw. I think you pull something. Um, Here's the thing. Part of the responsibility of a church is providing avenues of service for you. Okay? There's a couple of things that we do. If service, if worship is 
intimacy with God, we're going to have some beautiful music, and we're going to have some wonderful songs, and we're going to have things that come together, and these ladies are going to do great, and the choir is going to do a wonderful job, and they're going to draw us into the presence of God, and we've got that. I mean, we've got some beautiful things that are going on. If worship is also service, then we are going to have opportunities for you to serve. We're not just helping you to get closer to God that way. We want to also help you see the will of God for your life and in and, and loving other people and in serving other people. Those are the facts of Romans chapter 12. So we need to be keeping our eyes open for different ways to serve and different ways to get people involved. So I want to ask right now, how many of you guys, and I'm asking the guys, ladies, I don't want to hear from you right now. How many of you guys own one of these? How many guys, raise your hands higher. You're chainsaw men, be proud of it. You've got chainsaws? You guys own chainsaws? That's amazing. I don't own a chainsaw. This is, you got an extra one? Awesome. This is borrowed. It is not my chainsaw, but it was loaned to me by someone who has three, I think. So that's pretty good. Uh, you, have, you guys have chainsaws. You guys love your chainsaws. Let me ask you ladies, though. Let me ask you ladies. How many of you ladies? Ladies, do you love your chainsawing man? You know, let me see. Let me see your... Come on, ladies. Do you love your chainsawing man? There's something special about a chainsaw man, isn't it? Look at that. That is the epitome of manhood right there. That's a chainsaw man. And you look at that and you go, that's a real man right there. That guy's got a chainsaw. That guy's got purpose in his life. He knows the will of God, and it involves a chainsaw. Every now and then, storms hit. Every now and then, it might be an ice storm. We've had a few of those lately, haven't we? Sometimes it's a wind storm. And when those storms hit, limbs fall down, trees fall down, and we get phone calls. We get phone calls sometimes from members of the church, sometimes from members of the community who say, hey, there is a big limb in my driveway, there is a big limb in my yard, or there's a big tree down in my yard, do you have anyone who can help? Let me ask one more time. Who owns a chainsaw here? Does anyone own a chainsaw? Good, you're still willing to admit you own chainsaws? Jim, do you have a chainsaw? Raise your hand, Jim. Jim's got a chainsaw. And you know, we've got about three guys that we normally call when that happens. And it's the same three guys over and over again. And they are very willing to take their chainsaws down to someone's house and to help them get rid of that limb, help them get rid of that tree, and that's, that's wonderful. But we wanted to put together a list. We're wanting to put together a list, something that, for lack of a better term, we're calling the Kansas Christian Church Chainsaw Team. Dave, hold the list up, please. There's the sign-up sheet in the back. It looks exactly like this one, like the one up there. The Kansas Christian Church Chainsaw Team that we're putting together, guys who have the equipment and are willing to help others. And what we need on that list, we need your names so that we know who you are. We need your phone numbers. If you've got a cell phone or whatever, the quickest way to get a hold of you, we need to know that so that we can get a hold of you when the need arises. So we're not just calling the same guys over and over again. I also want to know if you've got any other equipment besides a chainsaw. If you have a pick-em-up truck, Jim, have you got a pick-em-up truck? Jim, you got a pick-em-up truck. If you got a pick-em-up truck, you got a log splitter, you got a weed eater or a lawnmower, snowblower, 
That's a great idea, Peggy. I hadn't thought about a snowblower. The Kansas Christian Church snowblower team. You got to, you know, every now and then something will happen. Someone ends up in the hospital and what, the lawn looks awful, you know, or we need somebody to come and just, just make a couple quick passes with that grasshopper and, you know, whatever you got. And just, just come and do a few quick passes or go out there and hit things along the walk with the weed eater and try to make it look a little bit better. Someone's in the hospital and we got to go help them out. Every now and then that happens. You know what? The other equipment may be, the other equipment may be that you go in a pair of work gloves. And if you don't, we'll buy you a pair of work gloves. Um, we'll find you a pair. Most of them have holes in them. That's okay. You get your hands in. Um, we'll find you a pair of work gloves. Maybe, the, maybe your equipment is just your hands. But whatever it is, we want to make sure that we are prepared and we want to make sure that you have something to do while you are sitting there pondering what the will of God is for your life and how you might be able to love your neighbor and how you might be able to worship God in other ways. See, here's the thing. If sweeping out the temple is worship, right? Sweeping out the temple is worship. You saw that, right? If sweeping out the temple is worship, then being a chainsaw man is also worship, right? Having a chainsaw is worship. The Bible tells us that every believer, every Christian is a priest. Every believer is a priest serving God and serving his fellow man. That little boy Samuel, when he was sweeping out the temple, he was being a priest before God in his little linen ephod. He was sweeping out the temple. And little baby Samuel, little boy Samuel, he was the priest of sweeping. That was his job. Some of you are members of the priesthood of chainsaws. Okay? Some of you are members of the priesthood of snowblowers. Rick right here, Rick is a member of the priesthood of coffee. Because when I need coffee, when we're having a meeting or something's going on, I will say, Rick, I need coffee. And he says, you got it. And he shows up and he makes coffee. That is Rick's priesthood. He is priesthood of coffee. Some of you are priesthood of snow and ice removal. And some of you worked really hard this morning. To uh, Austin came in and took care of the, the walks. Dave got here this morning. He called me up and he said, I'm going to go get a tractor because you know why? Dave is priesthood of tractors. And uh, <laughs> Dave is priesthood of snow removal. Some of you are priesthoods of food, and I love you. Some of you are priesthoods of encouragement. Some of you are priesthoods of prayer. What is your priesthood? What is, what Paul would say in Romans 12.1, what is your spiritual worship? So today, I want to bring us back to our commitment to this year. Our commitment to, uh, to come and see. I want to take us back to that song. And I want us to realize it's not, about, it's not just about come and see what God is doing here. It's not just about come and see you know, what, what we've got going on in, in this new building. It's about come and see what you can do. Come and see how you can give yourself to God. Come and see what He is calling you to do. And when you do that, I promise, when you serve, I promise you this, you will find His presence in worship, in some new and wonderful ways. When you do that, I promise you that you will find purpose for your life. You will find God's will for your life in ways that you maybe never even realized were out there. And when you do, you will not only know how to love your fellow 
community member, church member, but you will know that you are loved as well. Let's pray.